We were designed for deep and intimate connection, but far too often we find ourselves on relational autopilot. You want the marriage you dreamed of, not the marriage that you're settling for. Each week we share personal and professional stories, giving you tools and guidance, empowering you to restore and reimagine the marriage you always wanted. Welcome to the Thrive Marriage Podcast. So our oldest daughter was about nine, I think, when we had gotten a note from the teacher that maybe we want to get her eyes examined. And so I remember we took her, we had a friend who was a an ophthalmologist, we took her in and did the eye exam. And when it was done, my friend said, wow, she, she really needs some glasses. And, and I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. She needs some glasses. I think it was a little disturbed, but it was like, great. We're getting the glasses. That's the good thing. So we ordered them and when we came back, it was a week or so later to pick them up. And so we went upstairs and she put her glasses on. These, these are good. And I'm like, you feel like you can see better. And she's like, yeah, yeah, these are great. Or this is good. We went downstairs, came out of the building and it was a beautiful Texas spring day. So the sky is super blue and the trees are really green. And I remember Katie looking up and like her face lighting up and she's like, that's what a leaf looks like. It has edges. Mm. And it was that moment that I realized like for her whole life, our little girl had not seen with sharpness. Like she knew the, the leaves were green. It wasn't, she couldn't see at all. But her experience of her sense of sight had been blunted and she was just living that way. She didn't know there was anything other than that. It's like best parenting day, worst parenting day. Yes. Well, and here we are in this series where we're talking about these God-given desires that are good and right and how he designed us to have these good desires. And last couple of weeks, we've talked about some today. We're going to talk about the desire for life. And I love that word sharpness that it's, you know, not sharp as in something that's going to be painful, but sharp as in the, the edges of the leaves sharp that he, he designed us for the fullness of life. And even the verse that talks about, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And when I hear you talk about Katie and this experience that she had, had been alive and she mm-hmm. had been seeing things and she had been experiencing things, but it wasn't full, it wasn't full life. And when we think about this desire for life, that's what we're talking about, that there's something about how God designed us to have life to the full. And your other word was blunted. And far too many of us live in this blunted space and, and we, we actually do. We can't fully live fully to the extent that God wants us to on earth because earth is blunted. Earth is shadowed. There, there are limits to who we are and we don't live in Eden. And I think about this, the last few chapters of the entire Chronicles of Narnia series where the children finally enter into Aslan's country. And the way that C.S. Lewis talks about it is that Everything that was once known on earth, now some shadow has been removed from it. And 
and the peaches were more peach and the the green was more green and the experience of the waterfalls was far far more wet than they ever experienced before and there's this this fullness of life that god designed for us to have and that's that's kind of what we're talking about here how we get to the state of of not living for that fullness of life there's just a whole lot of things that can happen i think about kids that were told they were too much yeah. too loud too wild too hungry and that message then that's ingested that I need to tamp that down. That could be one way that that desire for life gets blunted. And I think, I think there are other ways because we're talking about what happens is that that desire for life gives way to this lust for adventure, right? It's hijacked. And, and when I think about what, what I have watched happen, what comes up for me is the rush. The desire for life is replaced with what kind of gives us the rush, whether it's that rush of adrenaline. And that can happen in a lot of different contexts. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it could be anything that feels like a facsimile of actual life. So the rush of adrenaline, yes, or some level of just identity that I can, a face where a child who was told you're too much can go be too much someplace or a space where a child is told they're, they're too loud, where they can go be too loud. And I think about all the really socially accepted rushes that we have. And this, we're talking about this desire for life being hijacked by a love of adventure. And there's plenty of well-intentioned and well, even, even good adventures that then become something where, you know, somewhat of an idol. And I think of extreme sports. I think of even just the, the national pastimes of sports with football and baseball and all the things that people identify with, where there's a rush and an adrenaline and an identity and a sense of adventure, like, Hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. That, that is something I think also of like traveling and going to new places and always needing to, to find a new thing or a new culture or a new food or a new place. And whether they're domestic travel, you know, or international travel, like that can be the need for adventure as well that, and those are all socially acceptable. Well, it can show up. I think it shows up in work also. It can be the next deal, the next deal that you close, right? The next customer that you garner, like it can exceeding whatever the quota was, like driving for that each month because it's got that energy behind it. And I feel alive. I feel alive when I watch that. I try to close the rings on my Apple watch every day, right? (laughs) Little rush that I get. I was like, I did it. Yes. And there's a reality to the dopamine and the adrenaline and all that, that actually does feel good and does actually make us feel alive. Right. But that's not actually real life. That's not what we were designed for to close the rings on our Apple watch or close the next deal. Then there's also the, what typically we would consider vices Mm -hmm. where there's a level of adventure and rush there too. 
gambling, just pulling that next slot machine, getting that hand in poker, doing like getting those kinds of rushes out of gambling. I also think in the work that I do with a lot of people, both men and women with regard to pornography, that there's a rush that happens there. There's the, the physical, sexual chemicals that get released in our bodies, but then there's also the second layer of what is hidden, that the rush is increased when it is hidden and secret. So there's, there's a level of rush there. Well, and that certainly then gives way also to the rush of an affair, whether it's just an emotional affair. I, and I don't want to say just any affair, emotional, physical, however it manifests itself. But I think, again, it's that secrecy, the hiddenness of it that produces that sense inside. It's like, whoo, it feels yeah. exciting. I'm getting away with something. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. And what ends up happening, whether it's the socially acceptable types of rushes, adventure that we've talked about, or it's the vices or the ones that feel a little bit more wrong or sinful, those types of things, the affair, what ends up happening is that instead of our senses becoming more sharp, actually what's happening is our senses are becoming more dull because it's not true life. It's hijacked life. It's, it's wrong in that sense. It's not actually what God wanted us to, to, to experience. And so the more that we experience the rush, the less life we actually feel out of the rush. Interesting. Cause it has a limbic response though. I mean, and I'm thinking in this moment, particularly in the realm of an affair, most often what we'll hear is I feel more alive when mm-hmm. I'm with a person. They see me, they want to know me, they pursue my heart. And, and you're for sure having a limbic response. And so that feels like life. I think the untangling of that from the fact that as it's wedded with shame, the life is getting sucked out of it. And, and oftentimes you don't realize that until further down the road or unless you've got a really wise friend that you've trusted and it's noticing because it is seductive. That's a perfect word for this, the seduction, because it is the very promise of life. And then on the other side, there's nothing but death. Now, you don't know that really, but it, it feels like it in the process. It's the seducing of your soul. It's the seducing away from God's actual hope and design for you to experience life and life to the full. And it's giving these empty promises. Well, because shame and intimacy can't coexist. Yes. Shame and intimacy can't coexist. And, and we're made for intimate connection. And so as we're talking about this in the context of marriage, we're talking about all of these things interfere with you experiencing intimate connection, the way God designed with your spouse, life to the full. Let's talk about that a little bit. So say you're listening to this and you've taken our other loves assessment, which is for anyone who hasn't yet, that's at otherloves.net. You can go there and take the assessment and see where you fall on some of these things we're talking about. 
But if you say that you are that spouse that tested really kind of high on this adventure, this desire for life and this love of adventure category we're talking about, what are some things that we would want people to know? If, if this is you, if you find yourself looking for the rush. It feels so counterintuitive as we're talking about it. Because one of the things that, that I would say is that, that life to the full is when your senses can be fully alive. So we're talking about what it looks like to grow in your capacity to be present in any given moment. And, and I know that can sound kind of buzzwordish. Like, what does that even mean? Of course I'm present, I'm here, but, but here with your senses alive and, and, and beginning to notice like what, what's not actually here, what's not actually able to be alive in you. And so there's like the rush feels like it's got all this movement and motion to it, the adventure. And what we're talking about is like actually dialing that back to get more still in order to come to understand what in you maybe isn't actually experiencing life. I think your original story about Katie and the glasses, that's really what we're saying. Like, how can your senses become more sharp to what's right. actually present around you? She'd probably run past trees and seen trees and leaves and all that her entire life, right? She was a kid. Oh, yeah, Katie the- never said, hey, I can't see the leaves on the trees, right? Because <laughs> She didn't know there were leaves on the trees. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is that when, can you slow yourself down enough to put some soul glasses on, to put Mm -hmm. some glasses on all of your senses to go, what is actually present around me? And can I move into God? Can I move into my own soul a little bit more to sharpen up my senses so that I can be present and actually experience the life that's offered to me right here and right now with myself and with my current space and with my spouse, rather than I have to adrenaline up and go rush out to find it somewhere else, what might actually be given to you in the here and now? I have a friend who in his own recovery work told this story that was tied to tasting his food. And that feels like it fits what we're talking about, like the a particular day when he recognized like the invitation had been given to him to like sit and be present with himself and actually like taste his food. And so to, to taste the pickle, to taste the spicy mustard that was on the sandwich, to notice the hint of salt on his potato chips and to slowly drink the sweet tea that he'd been given. And and he, he never would have done that without like a clear invitation. But I, I think it's that it's really kind of almost that simple to begin to care about those things. My husband jokes because I walk through stores and touch things. I'm like, Ooh, this feels good. Ooh, this feels good. We like the sheets on our bed feel good. And the shirts that I buy him feel good. There's some shirts. He's like, what do you think of this one? I'm like, no, that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But letting those things matter. So for you just bring up Mark, right? Your, your spouse. Seven husband. Yes. (laughs) So for a spouse who's listening to us talk 
you know, about this, who recognizes that my husband or my wife, they fall into that category of they're always looking for the rush. They're always looking for the adventure. There's some level of, I would even say addiction to the adventure that draws them into the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. What would we say here? In this moment, as you're saying that, I I think like part of what I imagine is as a spouse, like to creatively join them in, in what they love, but inviting them to slow it down. Yes. Right. And so to slow it down and have it not be the next thing, but let's just, we'll go with the food analogy of part of the adventure, right? Is traveling and it's the next restaurant. It's the next, like, let's be at this restaurant. And, and like, what are you enjoying about that piece? Like what you ordered there and let's share it back and forth and ah, the music. And so, because you can't just ask somebody to stop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. So I think it's going to, it's going to mean moving towards them, bring yourself almost as, as an anchoring point, mm-hmm. like join me in just being here in this moment. And then maybe things can grow. Some of the most exciting restaurants that we've been to, Beth and I have been to, we, we also love to travel. And so we've gone to some really amazing places, but some of the best restaurants that I've experienced are the restaurants that we've gone back to twice. Mm-hmm. Now we're in this beautiful international city and there's options everywhere and TripAdvisor and Yelp are telling us all the places to go. And yet we we went and we experienced a meal. We loved it, we experienced the music and all the things. And we decided the next night to go back to the same place. And that I think is what the invitation is to join and invite, join the spouse, and then who's seeking adventure, but then invite to linger. Mark and I, I mean, as, as we're talking about travel, like, oh, for the day when we travel again. But I like to go and stay one place because I want a sense of like where we are. I want to go get my coffee in the morning. I want to sit at a cafe and Mark wants to see the whole country, all the things. And so it's been, this has been a, an interplay for us for sure. And, and we've done a number of things like, like I don't love to cruise because being on the ocean scares me to death. Like I don't want that. So I choose not to think about the fact that I'm having to float in the middle of the ocean and I don't watch Titanic or any of those things, but it gives us like, it, it meets that we come back to the ship Mm. every day every right we sit on our balcony and have coffee in the morning and we go to the ruins and we zip line and we climbing <laughs> wall on the ship on the days at sea and but it's been a place where we've sort of met and and I don't want to minimize that's a very luxurious thing to be able to go do but it can live in smaller spaces also mm-hmm. And I feel like, yes, even literally setting your own kitchen table yes, for a lingering meal and inviting the adventurous spouse to come and sit, and then you pace your courses. Yesterday, we ate on the back porch. We ran, we got lunch, and I had a 40-minute break between clients, and we ran and got Chick-fil-A, 
And Mark's like, we can eat it in the car. And I'm like, we could, or we could drive home. And he's like, oh, okay, well, we can drive home. And then he's like opening the bag and we're going to sit at the kitchen table. I'm like, let's go sit on the porch. I mean, we went outside and he's like, oh, the birds are back. I'm like, they are. And that comment, the birds are back. Mm -hmm. That is where life is found. Yes. That is the sharpening of the senses that in the, in the rush of adventure and the rush of life, when we don't slow down enough to hear the birds that actually is where the gift of God of life reside. Yeah. Mm. Over nuggets on my back porch. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Now, before we end today, I do want to come back to, we, we brought up affairs and this is something that many couples are struggling with. And I, I want to put it to various degrees. So any, any place where a heart has wandered, where a mind has wandered, and I say heart in the, in the sense of affection, mind in the sense of desire and fantasy and thought. Engagement. Engagement, right? Anywhere where there's some level of movement away from the spouse to another, that is, that is the beginning of affair. Mm -hmm. And then it goes all the way through, through that to emotional engagement and actual exchange of emotional pleasure from one another to someone who is not your spouse up up and all the way through full-on sexual encounters and sexual engagement to back to what you said about the limbic system is that everywhere along the way is an involvement of of this other person is giving me something that my spouse is not giving me and this other person is in, in some ways better and the the seduction that happens here say the seduction and well we're gonna we will continue to touch on that yes we're gonna touch on that when we talk about containment when we talk about belonging so those those conversations are coming yes all right well as you finish this podcast wonder together with your spouse today where might there actually be life that God has strewn before me in birds on our back deck, in some slow tasting of food, in some re-engagement with one another? And we will see you next time, same time, same place. Thanks for joining us today on the Thrive Marriage Podcast. We hope that you are enjoying what you're hearing and would love for you to leave a review in Apple Podcasts if you do. As a reminder, you can go to otherloves.net to take the polyamory assessment and you'll immediately receive your results in an email along with different questions to ask yourself and your spouse. I don't know if you knew, but the Thrive Marriage Podcast is a part of the Thrive Marriage Lab, which is a monthly marriage membership community where couples are gathering each week for new content to help their marriages thrive. We only open up the lab once a a year and it is opening again at the end of March. So make sure you go to restorylabs.com thrive to join the waitlist to be the first to know of when we're open again. Restory Labs is a digital laboratory of restoration counseling and you can find out more about us in the show notes and we'll see you same time, same place next week.